Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody from Calvary, Quakertown, and good morning to all of you joining us online. You just saw in the video that we're in a series from the book of Daniel that we're calling How to Stand Out When You Don't Fit In. And this morning we come to the most famous chapter in Daniel's book. But before we get to chapter six, I want to pull the curtain back a little bit and let you know about something that happens here that most of you probably don't know about. About 8.30, when some people are still gathering, getting ready for first service, everybody involved in the service, or everybody in the band, the singers, the sound guys, the projection programmers, we all meet backstage and we get in a circle and we pray together. Justin always comes up with a really dumb question to get us started, kind of break the ice. And this morning, the question was, I want you to think about when you were the most afraid. It's kind of a happy time back there, getting ready for prayer. So everybody's thinking about when they were most afraid, and then a few people shared. So we heard about car accidents and grand mal seizures and broken noses and all kinds of stuff. And I was kind of thinking what it was. But then I realized that was really an appropriate question as we look at Daniel chapter six, or Daniel one through six for that matter. Don't you think that those uh, people involved in those six chapters were afraid? After all, they were in dangerous situations, life-threatening situations in every chapter. Chapter one, the dangerous diet. They refused to eat certain foods. They could have easily been beaten or killed for that. Chapter two, there was a dream and a dangerous interpretation. Chapter three, a dangerous furnace. And if they didn't comply, they were gonna be thrown into the furnace. Chapter four, another dream and a dangerous interpretation. Chapter five, a dangerous hand writing on the wall and an extremely dangerous message that Daniel has to deliver. But all of that danger pales in comparison to the danger in Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six, as I said, the most famous chapter is about Daniel in the, let's try it again, Daniel in the, yeah, Daniel in the lion's den. But I want to tell you right up front, that is not just a story for kids. We all need this story. So we're going to kind of walk through it. But in order to do that, we're going to read some first. If you have your Bibles, your phone, tablet, whatever you use to read on, uh, turn to Daniel chapter six. I'm going to read the beginning. I'll probably skip a little bit, and we'll read at the end. And I want you to try to put yourself as best you can into Daniel's shoes, feel a little bit of the fear and sense the danger of the situation, and maybe ask yourself how you think you would be responding if you were there. So here we go, Daniel 6.1. It pleased Darius, he's the ruler now, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, 
we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now jump over and let's see the consequence, verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lions then. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And, and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people may fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. And that's a pretty interesting account. We could make a, a general statement and say that Daniel chapter 6 epitomizes the theme that we've been using for the whole book. The theme we've been saying goes something like this. In spite of appearances, God is in control. In spite of what it may look like, God knows what he's doing and is in control. In spite of what's impacting your life, in spite, of, in spite of your circumstances and situations, in spite of our failings, in spite of our shortcomings, God is in control. There's no place clearer in the Bible than we find in Daniel chapter six. Or maybe we could uh, even, even say it like this. K 
kings come and kings go. If you've been here for the past six weeks now, you understand. We started with Nebuchadnezzar, then we went to Belshazzar, now we have Darius, and at the end of the chapter, Cyrus is mentioned. Kings come and kings go. Did you notice Daniel's living through all of them? Kings come and kings go. But Daniel, the one who's speaking God's word, he's going on. Oh, yeah, and by the way, God continues forever in both directions. No beginning, no end. Kings come and kings go. Rulers come and rulers go. Presidents come, presidents go. Emperors come, uh, CEOs come, CEOs go. God continues forever without end. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Corporations come and corporations go. Countries come and countries go. Things arise and things fall, but God's kingdom remains and one day will fill all the earth and all of the heaven. Kings come and kings go, but God remains. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but God remains. Boy, that's some of the big stuff of Daniel chapter six. And that's the main theme of the whole book of Daniel, not only the first half. But let's walk through some of what happened. And let me uh, try to explain to you as we build to the conclusion how this isn't just for kids. We need this story. So here's what's going on. Darius takes over as the emperor and he reorganizes things. Most new rulers do that, right? The new manager of a department, the new CEO of the corporation, the new mayor comes in, the new president comes in. Lots of reorganization happens. But you know, one thing's constant, corruption. Why does Darius make these changes? So he will not suffer loss. Now here's what you gotta remember. This was a really big kingdom, a really big empire. There was no internet, no cell phones, no email, no way to keep in touch, not even snail mail. If you wanted to get word to the other end of the empire, you would have sent somebody and they ran really fast or they walked to get to the other place, which meant you needed a giant hierarchy in order to get the word out and in order to collect money so you could field an army and be able to pave roads and stuff. But the more you increase people in that chain, the more corruption can flourish and the more hands are involved and pockets get lined. You see, graft and corruption are not new. And so Darius comes on the scene and he says, well, we got a giant kingdom now, but I think there are a bunch of crooked people here in the kingdom. So I'm gonna put 120 people in place. They'll report to three and maybe we'll be able to reduce corruption, not eliminate it, but at least reduce it. And people won't be able to fill their pockets. The money will be spent in ways that it needs to be spent. Well, eventually as that goes on, Daniel stands out, right? How do you stand out? Daniel stands out in a positive way and Darius is about ready to make him the one over three that are over 120. They looked for dirt, but they couldn't find any. Daniel is standing head and shoulders above everybody else. He is becoming or about to become the number one under Darius. <laughs> but a whole bunch of other people that don't like that plan, and they're really jealous of Daniel. So they form a conspiracy. They try to dig up dirt, but can't find any. Let me just ask you right there. If people at your work wanted to dig any dirt on you, could they find any? If people in your neighborhood wanted to, if your spouse wanted to find, oh, we won't go there. Uh, if people wanted to dig dirt on us, they'd be able to find it. Think about that. They're trying to find ways that Daniel has been negligent or corrupt, and they can't find any. 
<clears throat> so finally, the conspiracy goes like this. If we can find something that Daniel does in obedience to his God that doesn't fit with what's going on in the kingdom, we'll have him because he's ultimately faithful to his God. So they come up with this crazy plan. They go to Darius and say, hey, we got this really cool, you know, you are such a good emperor. Flattery always works, right? You are such a good ruler. We got a plan. Have everybody in the kingdom only pray to you for a whole month. As you might guess, Darius liked this plan. Pray to me. There's no way he can hear the prayers or not, but he, this is a wonderful plan, right? And then he said, the satraps and the leaders say to all the mayors and stuff say, and make sure you sign it according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. That means even the emperor can't change his mind once he kind of signs it. So they sign the new rule and they get him. Daniel had been faithfully praying three times a day. Now the Bible doesn't say you have to pray three times a day, but that was what Daniel felt compelled to do, felt prompted to do. And Daniel says, well, you, you do what you do, I do what I gotta do. And so Daniel continues to pray three times a day and the conspirators catch him. They didn't take pictures on their cell phone, but they all came as witnesses, and they say to Darius, Darius, didn't you issue an edict that can't be changed, that no one can pray to anybody except you? Yes, I did. Hey, yeah, sorry, but Daniel prays to somebody other than you. Now, Darius is kind of friends with Daniel. He respects Daniel. He appreciates Daniel's wisdom. Remember, Daniel's old at this point, probably 80. Um, and Darius has heard the stories and Darius probably experienced some of the benefit. He doesn't want anything bad to happen. And I'm guessing Darius probably knows he's like pretending to be God for a month, but he kind of knows he's really not. And he also knows that Daniel has been able to interpret dreams and read handwriting on the wall. And he kind of realizes Daniel must be in touch with like a real God and I'm a pretend God. So he's a little nervous about being able to do it, but he can't turn here or there. So the law is signed and Daniel's arrested and they take him out to where the lions are kept and they take the stone off the pit and they throw Daniel in and they're waiting for the screams. And Darius can't sleep. You shouldn't eat after eight o'clock anyway. He couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, no entertainment. You know, don't eat late at night. He can't eat, can't sleep. Early the next morning, he rushes out. And he says, very careful. Daniel, are you still alive? Or were you lying food? Are you okay down there? And Daniel says, may the king live forever. And at that point, I realized Daniel really is a righteous guy. Because if Darius threw me into a pit with lions and he asked if I was safe the next day, I'd be saying something, but it wouldn't be long live the king, all right? Um, it would be something else. But then, may the king live forever. He gets him out. Darius and Daniel probably hug, right? All the other guys, the conspirators, they get thrown into the pit. Lions really were hungry, by the way. They kind of consume all the conspirators. And then Darius, at the end of the chapter, right, writes almost an evangelistic presentation, right? Daniel's God is the only real God. Daniel's God, his kingdom never ends. He rules over, I mean, you and I couldn't write it that well. He wrote it perfectly. That's what's going on in the chapter. There are the lessons. In spite of appearances, God's in control. In spite of your circumstances, God is, kings come and kings go. CEOs come, CEOs go. Presidents come, presidents go. God remains forever. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Corporations come and go. Countries come and go. God's kingdom remains forever. That's what Daniel 6 is about. 
And I don't know about you, I need those lessons. Because life sometimes is, uh, sometimes is really scary for me. I face things that are beyond my ability to understand and certainly control. And I'm frightened. Just like the situations that were mentioned around the circle this morning at the worship arts prayer time. We don't have the resources to deal with any of that. But in spite of appearances, God is in control. And this God loves us and cares for us. I need the message of Daniel 6. I need to know the story and live it out. But here's the problem. Often we mishear and misunderstand the story. And if you misunderstand the story, it doesn't have the powerful punch that it needs to have. Uh, A lot of you have heard me say this before. You're going to hear me say it again. The Bible has a point and a purpose. The point is Jesus, and the purpose is to lead us to him. Now, here's the problem with Daniel and the lion's den. Here's how the story sometimes gets told. So Daniel was faithful, and Daniel said his prayers, and Daniel obeyed what God wanted done. So when he was thrown into the pit, God protected him because he was a really good guy, and he obeyed what God said. He had lots of faith in God. That's not the message of the Bible. I can prove it to you in two different ways. First of all, that message, if you're really a good guy, God will protect you and keep all the bad, creepy stuff from you. That violates the life of Jesus. I know somebody else that had a lot more faith than Daniel had. I know somebody else that lived a much better life than Daniel. He perfectly obeyed everything God wanted, and he had the worst life ever. If Jesus lived the best life and got the worst life, how in the world does that fit with how we often tell the story of Daniel 6? Secondly, the way we sometimes hear and tell the story is a denial of Jesus' message. Jesus' message is, I didn't come for those that are healthy. I didn't come for those that have lots of faith and obedience and stuff. I came for those that know they're sick. I came for those that recognize they're hopeless and helpless. I came to rescue those that are hopeless and helpless and in need of rescue, and they know it. Like I said a couple weeks ago, We often want to divide the population of the world this way between the good guys and the bad guys. And God really loves the good guys and protects them and gives them what they want and hates the bad guys and doesn't give them much. Daniel was a good guy. That's why. No, no, no. Good people go to heaven and good people go to hell. Bad people go to hell and bad people go to heaven. That's the message of the Bible. Because God doesn't divide the circle this way, He divides it this way. Are you in touch with your need? And have you come to Jesus with your need? If you think you've got life handled and everything will work out because of your faith and your obedience and your discipline and all you, you can't come. You either come to Jesus with nothing and get everything or you come with something and get nothing. So Jesus' life and message deny how we often hear Daniel. So what's the purpose then? What's the purpose of Daniel? Well, picture it this way. Daniel is not a destination. Daniel is a sign. Picture the Bible, kind of like this big highway, kind of driving down the highway. And all of a sudden you see the Daniel sign on the side of the road. The Daniel sign tells us and shows us that the ultimate destination is coming. It's kind of like, remember the 
Disney World sign. Disney World, 150 miles. You don't pull off the highway and camp under the sign, right? The sign tells you the destination's coming. That's what Daniel does. Now, lots of commentators and preachers and teachers have said this. You ever notice how many signposts or similarities there are between Daniel 6 and Jesus? So let's talk about Daniel and Jesus. How is Daniel a sign and not the destination? Well, here's one. The officials in Daniel's day conspire against him. Did anybody conspire? Oh, yeah, chief priests, Pharisees, all kinds. Huh. They can't find any legitimate accusation with Daniel or Jesus. There's a faulty conviction, but the ruler wants to get him off. Darius wants to get Daniel off. Pilate wants to get Jesus off. But because of political pressure, neither of them do. They're both falsely sentenced. Daniel thrown into a pit. Jesus hung on a cross. A stone is rolled over the pit of the lions. A stone is rolled over the entrance of Jesus' grave. The sign, right, it's pointing to something down the road. The ultimate thing's coming. Daniel, the next morning, is raised out of the pit alive, and the women find Jesus on the first Easter morning alive as he walked out of the grave. Daniel's not the destination. He's the sign pointing to the destination. And so our message is not, be like Daniel and follow Daniel. No, the Bible's not a collection of models of people we follow. The Bible is a collection of signs that are pointing us to the ultimate king, the ultimate savior, the ultimate rescuer. And if we line up the signs, we always wind up at Jesus. The Bible has a point and a purpose. The point is Jesus. The purpose is to lead us to him. That's why sometimes you'll hear me say, whenever you read a passage, whether it's in a small group, whether it's in a Bible study group, whether it's in a Sunday sermon, here are a couple questions. You're reading it at home on your own. Here are three really good questions. What does the passage teach me and show me about God? What does the passage teach me and show me about me and about people? And how does the passage lead me to Jesus? If you don't ask the third question, you're not legitimately reading the Bible because that has a point and a purpose. The point's Jesus' purpose to get us to him. Well, anyway, that's kind of how we understand the Bible and Daniel chapter six can help us with that. But I wanna end by talking about something else. I read Daniel 6 a bunch of times this week, and it started early in the week, and I thought it would, it would fade. You know, every once in a while you get these things and you hope they go away. Uh, it wouldn't go away. Every time I read Daniel 6, I, I kept thinking of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. Not here at Calvary Church, but in the world. Greatest sermon ever preached. In the middle of chapter 5 of, Dan, of uh, Matthew, Here's what Jesus says in this sermon. I'm gonna read the passage and I want you to think of Daniel 6 as I read through these verses and see how they line up. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, one of whom was Daniel, who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your, your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're light shining somewhere else. I kept thinking about that passage. So I'm going to end with it. Let's talk about salt and hurt and light. They're the three things. Don't you think Daniel fits that passage pretty well? Daniel, now here's an interesting thing with salt. Salt in the ancient world was primarily used as a preservative not primarily to make things taste good and give you high blood pressure, that comes later. Uh, it was mainly to preserve things. You don't put salt on things that don't need preserve. You don't salt your water, at least intentionally unless you have a sore throat. You don't salt your water, but you salt meat because it'll go bad. You salt things that'll decay. So salt is used as a preservative. What, how does salt have to work though? Salt only works as you pour it out of the shaker and it dissolves into whatever you're trying to, to, um, to preserve. Daniel is not separate from the Babylonian culture. He is in the Babylonian culture. He works for the government. He's an astrologer. He's a magician. He's a wise man of that culture. He's engaged in the culture. He's not salt set on a shelf over here. He is connected and engaged in the culture. The salt principle reminds us that we are not to separate. We are to be engaged in in. If you separate, you keep the salt all together on one side or you put it over here in a salt shaker, the meat decays and everything's, Daniel is applied to the culture. He's being honest and trustworthy and loyal in the culture. Yeah, but that's not the only principle. Did Daniel fully assimilate? Like did Daniel just kind of become a Babylonian? Heck no, he was hurt. He was separate and distinct. You see, you need, to, you need that piece. We're to be salt, not separate, but we are to be hurt. We experience persecution because we do not fully assimilate. We don't completely assimilate. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a few chapters earlier refused to bow down to the statue and they were threatened with a whole lot of hurt. In Daniel chapter six, he refuses to stop what he believes is a faithful living out of his requirements before God, and he's threatened with a whole bunch of hurt. So here's the tightrope we're to walk, friends. Are you salt refusing to separate? Are you engaged? in your place of work, in your neighborhood, in your community, with your friends, with people that are around? Are you engaged? But are you also separate? Are you not fully assimilated? You see, if Daniel and his friends would have completely assimilated and compromised, there would have been no reason for her. He's one of them. But the salt and the hurt thing kind of come together. Oh yeah, and by the way, here we have signs again. Who's the ultimate salt? Not Daniel, but Jesus. He is completely engaged. Think about it. He leaves heaven to come to this sewer. I mean, talk about being engaged. Talk about being salt. He comes to preserve. Is he hurt? Yeah, he's completely, um, he's not completely assimilated, so he's hurt. He's not completely separate, so he comes. Jesus is the perfect example of salt and hurt. Oh, yeah, but we also have a light. Now, how does light work? Uh, I hate these mornings where it's, 
staying dark longer and longer. So now when I get up, I will break my neck leaving the bedroom if it wasn't for my iPhone. I don't turn it on flashlight, that'd be too bright, but I just have the screen come on, a little blue haze, and I can make sure I don't break my leg or my neck because I kind of make my way out. I try not to shine it in my wife's face and we make my way out. What does light do? Light allows us to see danger. It isn't that part of our responsibility as we light up, we're to be light so other people can see the danger. Daniel was honest and trustworthy. Other people can see the danger. But if you don't have light, you can't see beauty. We're to light up, not just pointing out where people are failing. We're to light up and show the beauty of our culture and the beauty of common grace as artists and musicians make beautiful things in our culture and businesses that are excelling are doing wonderful things. Light up and people see beauty. Light up so people see Jesus. Isn't that what Daniel does? Daniel's not a light calling attention to himself. Daniel is a light, and the lights are on the sign that allow us to see down the road to the ultimate light. Are you lighting up so people see Jesus? Are you just kind of lighting up, drawing attention to yourself? Or are you like a critic, just lighting up, condemning everybody? Or are you lighting up, just pointing out beauty? You see, the light points out beauty, points out danger, but it also shines on Jesus and one last thing in our world, we need to light up so people can see the gospel because we live in a culture and a world that says, if you really live a good life and you have a lot of faith in God, God will give you what you want and you won't have problems in life. Friends, that's not the Bible and that's not the gospel. The gospel is this strange message that God is in control of all things, and he loves us. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve, and now when we go through and experience dangers and things that are fearful and difficulties touch us and we feel the sting, we have the promise that all of that never comes as judgment. That all comes now as purification because Jesus goes with us. That's a really weird message, friends. So we light up to point out the danger. We light up to show people the beauty of our world and our culture. We light up so people can understand Jesus and his mission. We light up so people understand the gospel. It's not our goodness, and it's certainly not our obedience or our faith. It's what Jesus has done for us. When we admit our weakness, we then receive all that Jesus did for us. Dangerous situations. Fear rises within us, but whatever we go through, we have the promise. Jesus goes with us, and all that comes in him never comes as judgment. All it does now is purifying clean. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this story that we often treat as a kid's account tucked away in the book of Daniel. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to wrestle with the message that we need to hear from it. The Lord, in a world that's full of dangers, in a world in which our fear often rises to the surface. Help us to realize that you're in control and you're a loving God and help us to follow Daniel to the ultimate rescuer and help us to find in him all of our debts paid, his promise to go with us forever, and in him he's working to make us like himself. We pray in his name.